we live in a world that is filled with people with strong egos? Do we live in a world which has people who feel that they are entitled to be given some sort of special respect to be elevated? Why is it that a man who was an Olympic award-winning man who decided somewhere along the line that he wanted to pervert the way God made him and to proclaim himself to be a woman. I'm speaking of Mr. Bruce Jenner. Why is it that because he thinks he wants to act and look like a woman, that he is somehow deserving of being called brave? Why is it that we live in a society where you can be a rock star, a movie star, or an athlete, and somehow you feel that you are above everyone else. A few years ago, Mr. Ozzy Osbourne urinated on the Alamo in Texas. He felt that he could do anything he wanted to. It doesn't matter whether you are Muhammad Ali or Troy Aikman or Brady, or anybody else. We live in a world today where people who are famous act as if they're above everyone else. You know, if you start thinking about that kind of attitude, it begins to infect each and every one of us. You go to the grocery store, maybe to the bank, and... Someone runs in front of you and breaks line. Oh, but my time is worth more than your time. People act as if I think more highly of me than you do. Second Timothy chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. Paul says, For know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud. No, I don't even have to go on. You don't got the idea. You see, Paul was trying to tell Timothy that society is devolving, not evolving, devolving. That is, it is going toward wickedness. There will be a day in which God will say enough is enough and he will send his son Jesus Christ and he will return to this earth and the works and the earth will be burned up. This morning I began a lesson on thinking too highly of oneself and we discussed that there were four things that we wanted to accomplish. We wanted to talk about understanding pride as the Bible presents it. Then we wanted to understand that a person of pride underappreciates the Lord. That is, you don't appreciate what, who God is and what God has done for you. And we talked about those first two points. The latter two that we did not discuss was the fact that that also causes us to undervalue other people. Particularly in the church, it causes us to undervalue our brothers and our sisters in Christ which, by the way, happens to be what Romans 12 
verses 3 through 5 is discussing. And then it also has another very bad side effect to it. It causes us to underestimate the devil and what he does. For just a moment, especially since we have some who were unable to be with us this morning, I'm just going to remind you of the big picture of what we discussed. We talked about an understanding pride, that it is a thinking of too much of oneself. It manifested in various areas of life. As Jeremiah chapter 9 talked about the man who was powerful, glorying in his might, the man who was educated, the smart man glorying in his knowledge and in his understanding, the wealthy man glorying in his wealth. And what it does, it expects others to appreciate us. We think highly of ourselves, and we expect others to think highly of ourselves. We use the illustration from 2 Kings 20, where Hezekiah showed those visitors from Babylon, everything that was in his house, his treasures and his armaments as well. We talked about the fact that pride causes division. That whenever I think more highly of myself and you think more highly of yourself, I expect my way to be done, you expect your way to be done. So different from our Lord, who Paul said about him in second chapter of Philippians, have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being equal with God did not consider it robbery to be equal to him. And then it affects our relationship with God. Because what it does, it says to God, I don't need you. I am fine in and of myself. Some people would have God think that he should be proud to have us as one of his servants. In fact, it would be as if someone looked at God and said, God, because of how good I am, because of what I do, you are obligated to give me my salvation. And that truly is a works-based salvation. And some people sadly believe that everything that they have and everything they have done is the result of their own activity. We look particularly at Deuteronomy chapter 8. I did not use James chapter 3, and so I'm going to use that as we dovetail into the lesson tonight. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we shall go into such and such a city and buy and sell and make a profit. He goes on to say, whereas you do not know what will be tomorrow. What is your life? It's but a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. He said, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will both do this and that. And then he talks about their boasting, their glory. And he says, all such boasting is evil. That's evil. When you and I feel as if we are doing this by our own ability, we're doing it because God has blessed us to do that. Now let's talk about how that also undervalues others. Because you see, when I have an elevated view of myself, that causes me to look down on and undervalue other people. For instance, listen to Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 12. He who is devoid of wisdom despises his neighbor. If you don't have wisdom, you look at your neighbor and you don't see any value in him. That only reflects upon you. That shows how little you think you know. 
chapter 14, verse 21, he who despises his neighbor sins. Perhaps the best illustration of that is found in James chapter 2. And I think it's interesting how James places it within an assembly of the church. Notice with me, James chapter 2, we'll just look at verses 2 through 4. For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings and fine apparel, and there should come in a filthy man, or a man, poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, you sit here in a good place, and you say to the poor man, you stand there or sit here at my footstool, have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? What are the evil thoughts that he is referring to here? It's when you and I and our minds have decided that this person is more valuable than that person is. And we have devalued people. In Romans chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, Paul knew what the Jewish mind was thinking. He knew the way they were reasoning. And he said, therefore, you are inexcusable, old man, whoever you who judge... For in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself for what you judge or for you who judge practice the same things. But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth that those who practice such things. Or do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things and uh, doing the same that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? These Jewish minds would look at the Gentiles and say, God judges them. They are worthless people. And yet, when the Jews practice the same things, he said, don't you think the the law applies to you equally? Or consider our Lord in Luke chapter 18 and verse 9. And he spoke a parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Look at me, I'm the righteous one. I'm the one who can look down upon you. Now sadly, in the Lord's church, and I'm speaking to us, there are some who feel that they're more valuable in the kingdom. And I can illustrate that to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 20 through 26. I will tell you as we turn there that this is the context of of the spiritual, miraculous gifts. And in a congregation like Body Branch, in the first century, the apostles laid their hands on various individuals and enabled them to work various miraculous gifts. And here's what happens. Paul says, But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No much rather, those members of the body which seem weaker are necessary, and those members of the body which we think less honorable, on these we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts have greater modesty. I want you to think about what attitude had developed. 
Some people having certain spiritual gifts looked at others who had lesser, oh, you mean lesser gifts? That's in their perception. That's in their minds. To say they're not as important as I am. If you can speak in tongues, oh, that's the gift that you want because that is a show-off gift. No, it's not a show-off gift. But they had thought it was. What about those who had no gift whatsoever? You come to verses 24 through 26. He goes on to talk about, and I want to particularly bring out verses 25 and 26, that there should be no schism in the body, but their members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffers with it. And if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. You see, in the Lord's church, we ought to look at every individual as being valuable and important. You see, here's the problem. The Pharisees had in their mind that there were some people not worth saving. Do you remember in Luke chapter 19, our Lord was going into the city of Jericho? And as He came, there were people scrambling about to see Him and to be able to just you know hear His words. There's one little short man by the name of Zacchaeus who finds a sycamore tree and he scrambles up that tree so he can see the Lord as he passed by. And the Lord tells Zacchaeus to come down. He's going to go home with him. And immediately the crowd of Pharisees are, I guess you'd say, a little bit incensed. Doesn't he know who this is? This is a tax collector. But Jesus said, is he not also a son of Abraham? Is his soul not as valuable as everybody? The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. What results when you and I think too highly of ourselves is we become judgmental. And using the the passage in its proper sense, Matthew chapter 7 says, Judge not that you be not judged, for with what judgment you shall be judged. And with what measure you use, it shall be measured back to you. And why do you look at, consider, observe, watch it, that speck that's in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye. When I think too highly of myself, I minimize the things I have done wrong and I maximize the things you have done wrong and I am hypocritical in my judgment of you. In Romans chapter 2, verses 17 through 20, Paul again addresses the Jewish mind. He says, Indeed, you who are called a Jew and rest on the law and make your boast in God, know His will, approve the things that are excellent, being instructed out of the law and are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind and a light to those who are in darkness and a structure of the foolish and a teacher of babes, having a form of the law or knowledge and truth in the law. You therefore who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that a man should not steal, do you steal? You who say do not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who make your boast in God, do you dishonor God through breaking of the law? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles 
because of you, as it is written. How many people have put themselves up and used the phrase that is often used in the world today as holier than thou? To look down upon people and say, your soul's not valuable. I don't care about you. That's what happens when people think too highly of themselves. You come to chapter 3, verse 9. What then? Are we better than they? That's a good question. Not at all. Not at all. Now, the last thing that this does is also underestimates the devil. You know, the Bible really warns us about becoming overconfident and not respecting the devil and the dangers that are associated with him. Let me give you a few passages of Scripture which I think are helpful. Proverbs sixteen eighteen said, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. You see, when I become so self-confident, so overconfident, if you will, I don't worry about the devil. Hey, I got him taken care of. Well, you're in dangerous territory now. Or consider 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 12. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Or 2 Peter chapter 3 is Peter has warned about the false teachers, particularly he was worried that as there were false prophets among them, there shall be false teachers among you. And he says to him in verse 17, You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware lest you fall from your own steadfastness, being led away by the error of the wicked. Beware. You see, there's some people who says, I'm not worried about the devil. I've got him taken care of. In 1 Peter 5 and verse 8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And you see, here's the way the devil does that. He wants us to be proud. He wants us to be arrogant, to think, hey, I, I don't have any sins for which I need to repent. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 8. John writes, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. You see, if I think too highly of myself, I'm thinking, hey, I've not got any sin I need to take care of. I don't have anything I need to work on. And the devil's just saying, yeah, just keep on. Let me give you a picture of the church in Laodicea. You see, Jesus, as he writes each of those seven churches through the Apostle John, to the angel of the church at Laodicea, write, I've got a message for you. Verse 17, because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing and do not know that you are wretched miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich, white garments that you may be clothed that the same of your nakedness not be revealed, 
and anoint your eyes with eyesalve that you may see. See, the problem is they didn't see. But you see, the devil wants you to do that because even he himself fell prey to that. You know, the Bible talks about Satan falling like lightning from heaven. There was a time in which Satan served God. But Satan fell. Why did Satan fall? In 1 Timothy 3 and verse 6, not a novice, lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. He's writing that about those who might serve as bishops, overseers in the Lord's kingdom. Do you mean it's possible that a bishop could possibly become puffed up and arrogant and prideful? Well, yes, or Paul would not have said so by inspiration. Well, if bishops, overseers could do that, what about me? What about you? Could we follow the same pathway that the devil did and let ourselves become puffed up and prideful and say, I don't have to worry. I worry about our country because I'm afraid that some people have not yet understood we're killing ourselves from within. And we look at other nations and we say, oh, they they don't possess the power to overrun us. That we somehow, because of our physical might, and we are underestimating others because of our pride. I also worry about those of us in the church. That we look round about us and we look particularly and we say, well, we don't have anything to worry about. Do I have something to worry about? Maybe I shouldn't use the word worry. Maybe I should use the word concern. Do I need to objectively look at myself? When I fail to prepare to meet the devil in battle, I'm underestimating him. What can pride do to you? What can pride do to me? It can cause you to lose your soul. You see, when I get to the point where I think too highly of myself and I'm not ready to meet the devil and I don't care about other people and I don't think I need God, my soul's in jeopardy. Some people stubbornly refuse to acknowledge their sin. I'm not going to admit it. I'm not going to deal with it. It'll be embarrassing to tell other people I've failed. What will you do? You know, we're going to sing this invitation song. And it may be that tonight that you are here sitting and thinking, you know, I've not become a Christian all these years. You may be 50, 60, 70 years old. Maybe put it off for all these years and said, You know, if I do it now, people are going to say, what about all these years? No, I'm going to tell you what people will say if they love you and they care about you is, we rejoice with you. Why not humble yourself before God and 
and say, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I'm willing to repent of my sins, and I want to be baptized. I'm willing to humble myself to do that because I know that's what God wants out of me. Are you a Christian? You've been sitting there in the pew, and you've been saying, that lesson from Scripture has been talking about me. It's been talking about the sin that I've not been willing to deal with, that I've not been willing to acknowledge before God and before my brethren. Here's the opportunity. This is the Lord's invitation. You're coming to Him. Would you come as we stand together and sing?